Mary Wollstonecraft was somebody who um, broke the barriers, really. In a way, she broke them almost too well, and then consequently um, her reputation suffered until she was sort of rediscovered. This is the story we'll, we'll talk about now. In this International Women's Day special, we bring you a clip from an upcoming series, Meet a Rare Book, presented by Heritage Collection's rare book specialist Georgia Prince. In this talk, Georgia shares the work of early feminist and philosopher Mary Wollstonecraft, known for her advocacy for the education of girls and women in her political essay, A Vindication of the Rights of Women, published in book form in 1792. This is me following a trail of interest that I've actually been following for quite a long time, which is the story of Mary Wollstonecraft. And this is the most interesting and most recent biography of her, written by a woman called Lyndall Gordon, which is extremely good. But I've read various things over the years, and I can remember that one of the first things that sort of um, sparked my interest was reading an article here um, in one of the rare book journals in the days when we used to have rare book journals, which pointed out the family connection between Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley, <clears throat> because at that, up to that point I hadn't really made the link. So um, Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, um, is the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft, and it's an interesting family um, connection. Of course, she married Percy Shelley, the um, romantic poet, but her actual... Mary Shelley's actual birth name was Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, um, and she was the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft and William Godwin. And that's part of the story I'm just going to tell here with three books. Now, they're not very exciting looking. Actually, before I start, I will just say another thing, um, which is you remember, you know, weeks and weeks ago when we were looking at the, those cookery books written by two women authors, um, Hannah Woolley and Hannah Glass, and I said... These are the first women um, authors that I've actually been talking about in the whole course of, of you know, these talks that I've been giving. This is the second. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it, you can see how significant and how important a person she is in sort of cultural history when you realise that, you know, we've been talking about li the literary world in Britain and Europe and we've been talking about explorers in the Pacific and you know all these things and we haven't actually come across one other author you know female author apart from those two women who were writing cookery books um, and Mary Wollstonecraft was somebody who um, broke the barriers really in a way she broke them almost too well and then consequently um, her reputation suffered until she was sort of rediscovered but this is the story we'll, we'll talk about now. So this is the first book I'm going to talk about, which is her famous Rights of Women, which was published in 1792. Now, all these books that I've got in front of me are all books that were published by Joseph Johnson of London, who was... Um, a, he's referred to as a radical publisher. <laughs> but he wasn't so radical that he went and got imprisoned or anything. We're not talking about um, treason trials and various other things that happened in the 1790s. He knew how to, to tread the fine line and not actually end up in prison. Um, but he was a great supporter of a number of interesting um, authors. 
I mean, he published Humphrey Davy, the scientist, for instance. Um, he published Thomas Malthus on, um, you know, population. He published William Cooper on poetry. Um, and among other people, he published Mary Wollstonecraft um, and William Godwin. And these books are all published by him. Uh, they don't have illustrations. And they're all octavos, even though I haven't, you know, they've obviously started off with different size paper, as it were. They're all small um, publications, so they've all been published in and folded into eighths, which is what an octavo is. Um, and it's a common um, format for these sorts of books, which um, are referred to, um, well, at least this one would be referred to as, a, as like a political um, philosophy, really, which is certainly one of Joseph Johnson's areas of interest. Um, so it's called A Vindication of the Rights of Woman with Strictures on Political and Moral Subjects by Mary Wollstonecraft, published in 1792 um, and printed for J. Johnson, who's Joseph Johnson. It, it, it's sort of interesting how she came to this point, really, um, because she started out as, you know, the eldest daughter in a, in, in a, in a family of seven, um, with a fairly feckless father um, who had inherited money from the grandfather who had made money in trade as a weaver. Born in London, the father sort of decided um, he wanted to be a gentleman farmer and basically wasted the money moving around the country um, and leaving his children to have to fend for themselves and earn a living. And like a lot of women at this stage, you know, there weren't very many options open for women on their own. Um, so she tried various classic things around, um, particularly around teaching, and that's where she started her philosophy, if you like, was through thoughts about education. That was her, I can't remember the exact title of it, but there's a book where she where she writes about her her edu her theories of education, because she 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 started she did work as a ladies' companion. You know that must have driven her utterly mad. Um, and then she set up a school with her sisters, um, so a little group of, of um, teaching, you know, small groups, which is often what happened, which didn't work terribly well. Um, she became a governess to a wealthy family in Ireland, and through these um, channels, I suppose, she made contacts with various people, she started to write, and she met Joseph Johnson, and he was the one who really supported her, her move into trying to make a living from writing. Um, she moved to London and started to write for him, doing reviews for his um, periodical, I think it was called the Analytical Review or something. And, yeah, testing her writing, doing translations. I mean, she learnt, you know, like three languages in the matter of, you know, a few years, you know, translating French, German, Dutch... You know, this is before women ever had any access to formal university education. So she's a self-taught um, and obviously a very clever woman. And as she sort of tested her writing, I suppose, um, she was sort of fired into action by the French Revolution, as so many thinkers, if you like, and politicians in Britain were. Um, and... What particularly exercised her was Edmund Burke writing um, on the French Revolution, which his his book, which was uh, um, sort of unexpected really from him because he was supposedly uh, left, well at least not a Tory, not a not a real hard conservative. You know, he was friends with the um, 
you know, with, with the so-called left wing, but I mean they were all aristocratic, um, party in parliament. Um, he came out very strongly against the French Revolution, a very pessimistic view of what was going to happen, where the rest of Europe's liberals were sort of deeply excited and, and, and thrilled at the thought of this new possibilities for liberty. And so he produced this book, and at the end of 1790, like it was published November 1790, in one month she had written her um, reply to Edmund Burke, um, which was called A Vindication of the Rights of Men. And that's her first foray, if you like, into this type of political writing. And that was written in 1790. And, and that's before Tom Paine, um, who also replied to Burke with, a, with his Rights of Man book. Uh, and that was, um, again, published by Joseph Johnson. Anyway, it's quite fun to read some of, out from some of these books because you get to hear her voice because she sounds from, you know, frequently, not always, but frequently very modern. Um, and this is actually the second edition um, because it was so popular. I mean, she, they sold out 3,000 copies in, in that first year. Um, and towards the end of the year, there was a second edition published. And in this one, she dedicates it to Talleyrand, who was a French politician, who was sort of part of that early part of the revolution, because the French are busy drafting laws. And she um, is very interested to hear what they're going to do um, for women, because this whole thing is about liberty, in inverted commas. So liberty for whom? Um, so what does she say here? Consider I, I address you as a legislator whether when men contend for their freedom and to be allowed to judge for themselves respecting their own happiness, it be not inconsistent and unjust to subjugate women, even though you firmly believe that you are acting in the manner best calculated to promote their happiness. Who made man the exclusive judge if women partake with him the gift of reason? In, these, in this style, argue tyrants of every denomination, from the weak king to the weak father of a family. They are all eager to crush reason, yet always assert that they usurp its throne only to be useful. Do you not act as a similar part when you force, which is in the italics, force all women by denying them civil and political rights to remain immured in their families, groping in the dark? You know, so she she's very forceful in her arguments. For surely, sir, you will not assert that a duty can be binding which is not founded on reason. And so, you know, she th these are this this is her dedication to Talleyrand. This is, this is not even the beginning of the book. Um, <laughs> a lot of her argument is that um, women may appear as if they aren't reasonable, but this is a fault of their education. You know they're trained to be superficial and what you have to do um, in order to allow them their full potential is to actually educate them properly. This, this, this is her, her main argument. You know. It is a melancholy truth, yet such is the blessed effect of civilization. The most respectable women are the most oppressed and unless they have understandings far superior to the common run of understandings taking in both sexes, they must, from being treated like contemptible beings, become contemptible. And th these are her arguments throughout the whole thing. Yeah, one of the things she does talk about is, is parental, you know, their upbringing, you know, how, the, how they're brought up. Um, 
It is the irregular exercise of parental authority that first injures the mind. So this is her interest in education coming through. And to these irregularities, girls are more subject than boys. The will of those who never allow their will to be disputed, unless they happen to be in a good humour when they relax proportionately, is almost always unreasonable. To elude this arbitrary authority, girls very early learn the lessons which they afterwards practice on their husbands. For I have frequently seen a little sharp-faced misrule a whole family, excepting that now and then Mama's angry will burst out of some accidental cloud. Um, so she, <laughs> these, this is the sort of language that she uses. Um, so having um, expressed her interest in this whole area... She follows through um, at the end of 1790, well, this is 1792, the end of 1792, um, by actually going to France to write a book um, for Joseph Johnson about what it's like to be on the ground during the French Revolution. And that's her reason for going to France. And consequently, she is, is she doesn't witness the um, beheading of Louis um, the 16th, but she sees him being taken to his to his um, trial in inverted commas. Um, and she and in the course of, of this period in France, she meets an American adventurer, really, um, called Gilbert Imlay, and he's the he's the first man really that she um, forms a, a, a strong relationship with, um, and they become lovers. And at this point, she is um, not prepared to, to marry um, because she sees marri mar marriage as a sort of property transaction. She feels that women are, when they marry, they become another person's property. And she's, she's very keen to preserve her independence. Um, and they have a daughter, a daughter called Fanny. Listen out for our future podcast series, Meet a Rare Book, to hear more from the wonderful Georgia Prince. And meanwhile, in honour of International Women's Day and all the women of our past who have pushed boundaries, created a new freedom and liberations for girls and women, we invite you to explore Auckland Library's collection for your educational and reading pleasure on all things feminist.